welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast, live here in California, where all things are more important than Tennessee or wherever Nate is right now. I am your host, Aaron Porter. With us is the less important but co-hosting kind of guy, Nate Larkin. Nate, where are you right now? I I am in Amelia Island, Florida. It's, oh, in a beachfront condo, uh, lying on a single bed, looking at a ceiling fan. <laughs> That's a long way That's... of saying my life's better than everybody that is... else's. <laughs> that is good specifics. Thank you, Nate. <laughs> we also have uh, coming from the uh, the tree house in Franklin, Tennessee. Newton is back to hang today. Yeah, man. Newton, what are you looking at on your back? Uh, I'm. <laughs> I'm just looking at a couple of dudes sitting around a table. <laughs> not not a whole lot I can I can do to compete with Nate there. Yeah. Man, well, I don't know why you're under the table on your back, but that is <laughs> all right. Uh, so a couple of dudes, because we have live in the house with Mark, uh, our special guest. Can we introduce him now, Nate? Sure. Let's can go we ahead. do it early? Yeah, yeah. Why not? All right. We have Raymond. Presson, the, the French, the the, the, the French chef. Show before talking about his book, uh, "When Will Life Not Suck?" Is that what it's called? When will my Raymond? life not suck? Yes. Yes. So, welcome back, Raymond, my Zumba buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Good to be with you. Good to be with Nate. Um, I said to him before we started. I realize where I where I rate. This is, is, he's already had seven grandchildren, but instead of being here with me in the treehouse, he elected to be with his, not first grandchild, this is number seven. Number seven, big number seven, two days so, old now. Hello, I mean, I, I'm an only child, and when my mom, when I was born, my mom didn't even show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh man. Newton, Newton's trying to figure that one out. Yeah. You know what a what a fabulous thing. Allie and I uh, flew down here on Sunday. Uh, I got back Saturday night from a trip to Canada. We flew down here Sunday, and uh, that seventh granddaughter was born via C-section on Monday morning. She is absolutely gorgeous, and it still amazes me. You know, when I put that little girl, you know, took her in my arms, my heart just about exploded. Uh, the the miracle of life. I it doesn't seem to me. Of course, my memory is a little foggy. I don't know that I was this emotionally connected as a new father when my own children were born. But every new grandchild just all practically brings me to tears. I feel like such a blessed man. That's awesome. How was Canada? How are the promise keepers doing up there? You know what? We had a great time in Canada. It was a little bit scary. Uh, you know this, Aaron. I got to the airport on Friday morning for the 48-hour trip to Edmonton. No, where did I go? I didn't go to Edmonton. I forget where I went. Manitoba. So, uh, I went to someplace in Canada. Um, and uh, yeah, I got to the airport. Allie let me out, and I went to the back for my uh, my backpack, in which I carry the ever-present laptop only to find that it wasn't there. I had left it at home. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, what now faced me was 48 hours. Uh, I had I planned to work on the plane. I'd even purchased Wi-Fi on the plane. 
trying yeah. to hey hey Nate I I think our listeners need to understand the the magnitude of this story yeah I think anytime I've been with you your response is oh good you're here you can drive so I can work yeah <laughs> anytime yeah. you are not doing uh, something like this you have your laptop open and you're working which is why I always love when Allie comes with us so I have someone to talk to <laughs> while we're driving somewhere yeah so yeah. this is a big deal opening your your heart must have just like hit the floor yeah yeah because I'm trying to make myself dispensable but I'm still pretty much a key cog in this machine that's got 40 employees and uh you know a lot of a lot of revenue and suddenly I mean it just I couldn't work for 48 hours. That was panic. So the real question, the, the, the transparent question is, were you able to embrace that and enjoy just being still because you didn't have the option or could you not let go of the fact that you weren't working? It was, I'll tell you what, I, it woke me up to the fact that I probably medicate with work because those were, those were 48 of the toughest hours, uh, in recent memory. I mean, I did celebrate with a couple of uh, beers at the new Belgian uh, tasting room in the Denver airport on my way to Winnipeg. That's what I went Winnipeg. And it was a, uh, but when I got there, I had this long yawn. I had to get there a day early, I guess. I had a long yawning. Uh, I did a breakfast. It was fantastic. Did a breakfast for the Joy Smith Foundation. Uh, it works against human sex trafficking. That was terrific. But then I had the whole day before the event that night. And um, it was it was Winnipeg. The there were snowdrifts outside the hotel, and I had no car. Downstairs, the lobby was torn up, and the restaurant was closed. So it was me in my hotel room um, for an entire interminable afternoon with no work to do. By three in the afternoon, I would have killed for an engineering report to edit. You were practically Amish. I really tried. I really tried to spend uh, quality meditative time, praying time, but I could only pray for maybe 10 minutes and then I was, I was toast. Yeah. So I probably go, I need to go see Raymond and get some help for this. So how many, how many back to back to back to back to back episodes of Mythbusters did you watch? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, see, all, yeah, all that was on uh, were, uh, yeah, there was, yeah, cable TV. And actually, I've gotten out of the habit of watching TV in my hotel rooms uh, just because uh, I used to watch stuff other than broadcast TV in hotel rooms. So I find it safer just to keep the TV off. Sure. Um, yeah. So it was a long, long day, but great night that night. A terrific event, uh, 1,500 guys, and a, a good, solid response. It was terrific. And in just a couple of days, uh, I'll be going back this time to Edmonton and uh, looking forward to that. Although it's going to be, uh, I, I should not be in charge of booking my own flights. My <laughs> flight from Jacksonville to Edmonton uh, takes me first to Miami and then to Phoenix and then to Edmonton. That's not too bad. On the way home, I'll have to be at the airport at four in the morning to fly to Seattle and from there to... Uh, Dallas for the six-hour layover, and then to Miami, and then back to to, to Jacksonville. Well, wow. at least there's a Papacitos at at the Dallas airport. Is there a Papacitos at the Dallas airport? Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, you just made my day.
All right, I'm looking forward to that six-hour layover now. <laughs> I don't know Papacitos, but if it can fill six hours, oh, man. good it's job, the, Papa. It's the best Tex-Mex uh, I've had, Papacitos. Well, there it is. Aside from a couple holes, holes in the wall west of it, uh, San Antonio. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to jump right in with Raymond because we have some big uh, shaming questions to address. So <laughs> we're going to take a quick break and be right back with Raymond Presson live in the treehouse.
work. And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our special guest this week is Raymond Presson, a psychologist in private practice here in the Nashville area, the author of the book, When Will My Life Not Suck? But we wanted to talk with Raymond today. He's such a good friend of Nate's, and you've got to check out Raymond's Facebook feed. Uh, we'll have a link on it from the show notes because this man uh, puts Jimmy Kimmel out of business. I mean, th- he is very, very funny. You've got to read some of what he, what he has on there. But the reason we invited him here today and to talk with him today is because uh, so many of you have come to PirateMonkPodcast.com and filled out our listener survey. And the number one issue that you say you face as our podcast listening audience is shame. And we wanted to sit down with Raymond today and talk through some of those issues because it doesn't matter what struggle you're dealing with, whether it be food or alcohol or codependence or porn or uh, uh, hard drugs, whatever the case may be, more than likely you're dealing with issues related to shame. So we wanted to invite Raymond in today, uh, who's done quite a bit of thinking and uh, talking about this and obviously works day in and day out with those uh, in his office about the issues of shame, and uh, that's, that's what, what brings us here today. So, Raymond, I'll, I'll start out and then let Nate, Aaron, and Newton run from there, but start us off with a definition, so kind of how, how do we know when we're in shame mode? What is shame? And before I get to the definition, I appreciate you asking me to, to define it, because we need to make a distinction between uh, shame and uh, guilt, the difference between shame and embarrassment, the difference between shame uh, and humiliation, uh, embarrassments, uh, and you guys can probably, you know, chime in with some examples when you have embarrassed yourselves, uh, perhaps even on podcast. Um, but, um, <laughs> it's those, it's those, you know, cringeworthy, but, but usually funny, usually a mistake that almost everyone can relate to. You know, we, we forget someone's name, a, a Freudian slip, um, uh, you know, I think of wedding bloopers, my very first yeah. wedding, the very first wedding I performed, the words "You may be seated" never came from my mouth. <laughs> I didn't have I didn't have it I didn't have it written on the program, so I didn't say it. I didn't realize it until the end when the soloist came up to me on the you know she was behind me she was singing, and during the recessional at the end of the recessional she says, "Raymond, I can't believe you didn't let him sit down." It was the first time I was so focused on the couple and, and the words. So that that's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and the, the rest of the, the eight years that I was there in West Palm, no one ever let me uh, you know, forget that <laughs> when it, whenever I would do a wedding. That's, that's embarrassment. Uh, humiliation is the attempt of someone else to, to not just embarrass, but probably ridicule or, or shame us. You know, we use the term you know, public humiliation. If someone, if it's more private, you know, I, I, I can insult you privately. But to insult you, you know, publicly has that humiliating, uh, you know, element to it. You know, the, the Pharisees dragged the adulterous woman to, to Jesus. Yeah. It, was, it was a public humiliation. The crucifixion was um, done publicly as a deterrent to crime, but it was a very public uh, humiliation. Uh, now, guilt um, is a remorse. I call it a remorse or regret that I, I did something bad or wrong. And I want to make it just you know, emphasize that word. Uh, I did something bad or wrong. Shame says I am bad. I am wrong. 
Now, I want to say, you know, we typically in, in our field uh, in psychology is often um, tried to say, you know, any kind of guilt is, is bad. But I think there's an upside of guilt in that I, I, I feel guilty not just because I did something bad, I did something wrong. I feel guilty when I do something that is, for me, inconsistent with who I really am and who I want to be. Huh. I mean, can, can I say that again? I'm going yeah. to anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I feel guilty when I do something or I don't do something that, that is inconsistent with who I really am and who I want to be. You know, sociopaths don't feel guilty when they do something that feels consistent. It's just their sense of morality and standards. That behavior fits with how they they see themselves and what seems what seems right to them. So you know, guilt moves us to apologize uh, and to repair relationships, and and guilt can move us to to change, to make adjustments. So guilt isn't necessarily bad. Um, and, and there's even, like I said, an, an upside when our reaction is letting us know that my actions are inconsistent. Gosh, this isn't who I really am. It's not who I really want want to be. Uh, and that's, that's different than shame. Again, shame says I am bad. So, uh, so what I hear is guilt is about the action. Right. Shame is about the person. Right. It's about the identity. Hey, let me ask before we move deeply into shame, uh, you bring that up. I think it's really important because um, sometimes we try to get out of guilt too soon. We don't let it drive us towards who we are in Christ. So how does a person know when I have been feeling guilty too long? Hmm. This is this is now an inappropriate amount of guilt that I am carrying, and it's becoming a part of my life. Right, and that, that's when I think you know our our attention, or even our subtle vocabulary, is going from uh, "I made a mistake," "I made a terrible mistake," that was that was a, a even a, a terrible sin, to sort of the the self. Uh, defining of I I am bad I am evil I am am, am worthless, um, and and the, the the two main sources that I find particularly of men's shame when you talk uh, when in the research, women's shame is often more connected to uh, really the, their sense of I'm trying to be perfect I'm trying to to spin all the plates and look amazing you know doing it so women are <clears throat> feeling the need to be. Uh, you know, perfect mothers, wives, be, you know, change, change the world. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to be the Proverbs 31 woman and, you know, look like a, a supermodel. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two main sources for men's shame tend to be uh, weakness mm-hmm. and, and failure. Because um, that's, that's how we define masculinity, really, is sure. I'm strong. Physically and emotionally, I'm, I'm, I'm strong. Um, and I'm successful. Um, so where we can go quickly to a place of, of shame and feeling unworthy, un, unlovable, <clears throat> is I'm weak. And you know, when we do something that uh, makes us feel guilty. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and when we get beyond just I did a, a, a bad thing, but... I am just so pathetically weak. I am. I am pathetic, and I, 
Uh, I didn't just uh, fail. Uh, I, I am a failure. Right. So would you say the the crux of the gospel problem here for Christians is that when a man feels weak and he feels like a failure, the most natural flesh tool is to in some way make himself feel stronger or prove that he's strong instead of pressing in to realize that Christ is strong and so he is strong. Christ is good, so he is good. That these are the only true identity answers that are offered to us and that it's through our weakness as paul discovered that we find out where our actual strength lives but in our culture our flesh uh answers are touted as the answers pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and just get it done right because our, our frame of reference is going to tend to be um yeah what are the cultural again this is true for women uh ours is as men are men who are strong emotionally and, and physically and who are successful, you know, not just in their, in, in their business, but, uh, you know, for us, you know, a, a moral failure or a self-discipline, self-discipline failure. I, you know, I think biblically, you know, the, Jesus told Peter, I, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Um, it, it, Peter's courage did. Peter's courage failed in in that moment but you know peter's reaction you, you see later and i may if we have time i'll because i think there's something that men can relate to in that in that passage is that jesus p- predicted uh, and it wasn't a shaming prediction it's like peter this is what's going to happen when he said to him and when you've turned back strengthen your brothers he was telling him this this is what's going to happen yeah. um that is not sufficient to define you. That is not going to make you a failure because after you've turned back, after the thing I said's going to happen, I need you. I want you on 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 the team. Um, but you know, you see, Peter's re- response in, in there in the courtyard is one of you know tremendous shame. He he went out and, and wept, uh, wept wept bitterly. Uh, to me, that's this this image of you know, this profound shame. And so in, in the reinstatement, I, I see this, uh, you know, not, not so much using, using the words is that, you know, almost have Jesus saying without, without coming out and saying, I, I told you so, yeah. but I'm not going to say that to, to shame you, that the reinstatement is, you know, not just I, I, I forgive you and I, and I told you so, but um, what happened in the courtyard is not, sufficient to define you one of the both to men and women in my counseling office one of the probably one of the most encouraging and healing things i get to say to someone after a terrible moment in their life is that yeah that was that that was bad but that is not alone that is not sufficient to define you how does a person unlearn that if if we'll all just <laughs> admit Jesus did it right you know Jesus handled that appropriately I think we could all find moments in our life lives where the person on the other end of that didn't handle it appropriately you know Jesus told Peter you're gonna do this Peter said no 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 and then he did and he felt shame and Jesus said you shouldn't feel shame how does a person unlearn that where 
they make a mistake, they hurt someone, they do whatever. And the person that would be in that place of Jesus, you know, the offended person says, you should be ashamed. You should feel shame and puts that on them. How does, how does that other person in Peter's position shed that? How do they, how do they unlearn that? I feel shame when I make a mistake. I feel shame when I'm incapable. Right. Right. And that's, I wish I could, you know, tell our listeners that uh, every, everyone will respond appropriately, sure, um, and that they won't they won't shame us, that they'll you know allow us or lead us to a, pl- a place of guilt. But but sh- the shaming message is largely initially come, or or at least often come, you know, from the from the outside, right? And that uh, yeah, you shouldn't just feel feel guilty, but. You know, this this is this says something about your character. This is static. This is this is permanent. This is this is your your identity, not just this is something that you did and, and it hurt me. Um, and I and I have to say to men sometimes, I, um, whether the person that we have hurt by those actions uh, forgives us, um, you know, reconciles um, with, with us. You know that that's a that's a case by by case basis, but I may have to um, you know push back on you know what that person declares ab- about me as as being as being the, the the truth. You know when Jesus said, uh, "You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Yeah. I'm frequently telling my clients, yeah. if Jesus is saying, "If truth is what sets you free." And then what holds you captive, what holds you in bondage is is believing is believing a lie. Sure. And operating as though something that is not true is is true. And so if someone is in essence saying with the shaming message, you are unworthy of my love, respect, and and, and belonging. Because shaming primarily says those mm-hmm. three things. That shaming says to 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 us and we say it to ourselves i am unworthy yeah i didn't just do so i am unworthy of love of respect and and belonging mm-hmm. and that's where you know when you ask well, what does what does a guy yeah. do with that i think yeah. you know one of the things that is so valuable about the the samson society is that you are you know men are saying to one another yeah this does not define right. you right. and in spite of this, you are loved mm-hmm. here. Um, you are accepted here, and and you belong. You you are included, and you guys can't guarantee that they'll get that anywhere outside. Right. Yeah. But at least this is a refuge. This is a place where, in spite of, or irregardless of, you are loved. You are accepted, and you. Are welcome. You you are included. You belong. Newton, I I think there's a a good physical component to that as well. I think one is the physical component of community that Raymond's talking about. Yeah. But when we feel shame, it is it's very evidence based. The evidence of what I've done that I feel ashamed of, the evidence of these voices. These are actual things. The people are saying to me or the love they're withholding. Right. But God has given us a physical thing in the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is not just an idea. It's not just some metaphor uh, for his love. 
And so it is only when I value those other pieces of evidence more than I value the physical evidence of the blood. In other words, I think the blood is not strong enough to deal with this sin, but not just the sin, but Scripture says that we've been sprinkled, our conscience has been sprinkled with his blood, our conscience is cleansed from his blood. The question in in my heart is, which of these pieces of evidence is weighty enough? And far too often, I judge the value of the blood of Christ as less weighty than my behaviors and then the voices of those who try to shame me. And the blood is a deal between the Father and the Son. The Father set the price and said, this is what it's going to cost. The Son accepted the price and paid it. I am a full beneficiary of a deal that was made without me. Yeah. And so I, I, I think of my adopted son, and I know exactly how much he cost. Hmm. A price was set by other people. I agreed to pay it. And it would be ridiculous if at any point in his life he says, I'm not your son. I don't feel like your son because you didn't pay enough. Right. Hmm. That's, that's, that's none of his business. Right. He received the, the benefit of an agreement between me and other people and became my son. Now, he might feel that, but it doesn't change the fact that the deal was already made and the deal was paid for. And I think when I feel that shame and other people want me to feel that shame, my question has to be, am I valuing the blood of Christ so low that I can't find an identity in the adoption that it bought. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, that that rings true. I like that. You know, that image of a set of scales. Which which of those is going to weigh more in my in my estimation? Or sometimes I'll think of it as you know which which truth. What am I going to rehearse? Um, you know, am I am I rehearsing? You know, my what what, what I did. You know, I'm not going to forget it, but am I going to re- rehearse that, or am I going to rehearse the the truths like that you're, <clears throat> you know, that, that you're talking about? Um, and and speaking of Jesus, I, I I like to look at how he interacted and and dealt with um, people that the culture shamed. Uh, you look at how he dealt with ad- adulterers, particularly adulterers, prostitutes, lepers, and tax collectors. Because those were four um, outcasts in, in the culture, and you look at how how Jesus. He did, and here's the thing: He didn't just forgive them. Because I I need in my shame, I need more than forgiveness. I.e., I don't hold that against you. Because we know in human relationships, forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. Yeah. But see that that's the, you know the, the thing with Jesus and, and Peter. He didn't just forgive forgave him he invited him back into relationship and you see jesus with the outcast he didn't just forgive them but he said you are loved and you are included i mean for for jesus to have meals for him to touch and to have meals with 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 outcasts we don't understand in our culture how profound that was you know sitting at a table and the meal was relationship that says we we are almost you know, we're like we're like equals. Yeah. You belong at the table. 
So, you know, Jesus is is saying to us in our in our shame, um, not just that I I forgive you for that, and I want you to receive that forgiveness, and He does. But I, um, He's not just saying, I, I forgive you. Now go 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 on your way. Now you, I love you. You belong. You're you're on my team. I'm yeah. glad you're on my team. Yeah. So talk about the difference between Peter. So on the same night that Jesus tells Peter, you're going to fail me, and tells all the disciples they're going to fail him, he also says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas has to deal with his shame as well, but he ends up dealing with it very differently right. than mm. Peter. His his shame takes him to a tree where he takes justice in his own hands and hangs himself. So talk about that difference with what you know what's going on with Judas versus what's happening with Peter. Yeah, Judas, you know, Judas apparently concluded that um that what what I did is unforgivable, un, unredeemable. And that there is nothing um you know lovable, worthy about me that could possibly compensate for for, for for what I for what I did. Again, um if you go back to weakness and, and failure, I, I was I was weak. I, I gave in to the temptation f- to to betray Jesus for for money. I was I was weak. I was pathetic. Um and that I you know I'm a failure Failure as a, as a disciple. I, um, I had got a text message on my phone from um, wife of a for, former client who texted me several weeks ago, um, and a former client uh, took his life because um, he he concluded that because he was depressed and been out of work and was unable to provide like he thought he needed to or wanted to for, for his family, that that he was uh, weak because he was depressed and couldn't get over the depression, that he was a failure as a provider and as a husband and a, and a father, and concluded wrongly that, you know, my, my family will hurt for a while, but they'll ultimately they'll be better off because I'm just flawed not just i'm i'm depressed i'm going i am i am flawed i'm useless I, i'm i'm a failure that there's i'm not worthy of love and respect there there's um and that it wasn't going to change i i think um judas was so overwhelmed by that sense of shame and he couldn't imagine that he would ever feel anything but that what is what does a person do uh you know you you being a therapist when they hit a point that they can't pull themselves out of that, like the shame is the quicksand, and they're they're up to their chin, because that story that's just a that's a scary story, and so you know we can say like, hey, join a Samson Society, and people will affirm you, but some people might feel like I'm in a little deeper than that, so if we have someone listening to this program that is maybe at that point where that person felt so much shame and so much sadness that taking their own life seems like the most logical 
and releasing idea. What are some things that person needs to be knowing? What are some things that person needs to be doing? Well, yeah, and I guess you'd probably expect this from a from a therapist, but to at that point really need to see a therapist on a on a regular basis. One, because I mean, sometimes I can't, you know, guarantee that that a that a person, that a man, that a woman isn't, you know, getting shaming messages about their depression and right um so you know one of the things i'm i'm trying to do is um you know counter some of the the statements that they're making about themselves and and their future uh you know that they're they're validating and that's one of the you know when we get isolated which again one of the values of of sam society when you when you get isolated you tend to validate your own reasoning. I feel it, therefore it must be true. I'm a failure, I must be. Yeah. I'm unworthy of love, I must be. You become the only source of audio in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's like you hear about al- alcoholic families, they tend to isolate and yeah. uh, so that, you know, uh, other information can't get in. Well, we do that do that to ourselves. So it's not just you know, when I'm working with someone like that, um it's not it's not just about the power of positive thinking. I go back to Jesus saying, if you knew the truth, it would be liberating because sometimes truth is 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 hard it's, it's, yeah um, but the the it's pushing back and replacing the deception and the falsehood with with not just feel good state but but truth right and that's that's where to me I see. The, the Christian man has a little bit of, a, of an advantage in that frame of reference of truth from the scripture and these these visual aids of seeing how Jesus dealt with uh, people that the culture said were, were useless and unworthy and should uh, be kept out or even killed. Yeah. Now, Raymond, you said you had a season in your life where you hit the ditch. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, was shame a part of your story? Oh yeah, I in the in the book when will my life not suck? Um, and the subtitle is authentic hope for the disillusioned. Um, I acknowledge very early in the book about uh, 12, 12 years ago was blindsided by uh, a season of clinical d- depression. I mean to the point of not just having to take medical leave from work, but I was I was hospitalized. It's it's well I go back to it's. It was at least embarrassing, if not humiliating. No one was trying to humiliate me. But when you're when you're a therapist and you're a patient in the psych ward, it's like, how yeah. did I get here? This this is not just the twilight zone. This is this is hell for me. And so I felt uh, shame. I felt embarrassed as a pastor, as a, a therapist. Um, I felt like I was, you know, weak. Um, I felt like I was failing, um, you know, my hus- uh, as a husband and as a dad. I felt, I wrote in my journal, I feel like the caricature of a real husband and, and, and father. Mm-hmm. Now, I appreciate and what was, you know, my wife was pushing back against those kind of, you know, statements and, and reassuring me. But I absolutely felt that sense of the word I frequently used was I feel flawed. Hmm. 
Um, and I was, I was also fearful, wondering, am I going to get me back? You know, is this, is this permanent? Yeah. Because I remember thinking, if this, if this is permanent, right? maybe my kids, you know, and you start going down that road. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't What do if it. it doesn't get better? Right. Yeah. So let's do the flip side of this. Uh, since we want people who are in shame to come into authentic Christian community, but the Christian community is not largely well prepared with a vocabulary to help fight shame on someone else's behalf. So what are the things that when a guy hears another guy speaking with shame language, what are the types of things he should be saying or doing in that man's life uh, so that, as Scripture says, that we are speaking the oracles of God. We are speaking God's words to hurting people. We know how he responded in the Bible to people who are in shame, but we're invited to speak those same words to those same people. Mm Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you give them? What are their tools? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one of the first ones again is, I mean, you've got language and you've got presence. I mean, and one of the things that by your your presence and the fellowship is that you're communicating with your your physical presence that you you, you are worthy of relationship. You are worthy of uh, acceptance and and attention. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I found interesting, I was told by a paramedic um, that, you know, when they encounter a patient in shock, they, you know, you, you, you put a jacket or something over them, but you, you stay with them and usually you, you put a hand on them. And so that the touch and the physical pre- presence, presence and that you reassure the person I, I'm not going to leave you. I'm yeah. I'm right here, and yeah, you, know, you may get on the phone and, and call, or where if it's a paramedic, obviously they know what to do. But if another person, you encounter someone, it's the the presence of someone when someone's in shock of saying to them, them feeling that you're there, and you saying to them, I'm not, I'm here. I'm right. not going anywhere. Help is coming, but I'm not going anywhere. And so, I I realize we want to we want to say the right things. Um, and we want to proclaim truth, but I need to tell you that our our presence in continuing to to be available communicates half of what they need to hear. And then, yeah, you you hear them um, make those kind of statements, and you you tell them. Yeah, what what the scripture says, but you also tell them what you see. Yeah, what what in your experience with them, even if it's been limited, what do you see as is redeemable? What's valuable? What's affirming? What qualities in in them are? And I for for me, like when I when I have felt that way and had someone say, "Yeah, all those things are true about you." Like you have made mistakes, like you you deserve to feel guilty, right? That's a valid, true statement. Or at least it was for me. But to have that same person say, "And yet, I'm sitting here with you," mm-hmm. and yet, I love you. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's that that's invaluable. And if and if that's and if that's it, right? If that's the only extent to which I know that person, 
is to say, yeah, all those things may be true. You know, like maybe like in, in your case, maybe you are like a caricature of a good dad. You know, like maybe all those things are true. And yet I love you and I'm going to sit here with you. Mm-hmm. I think that that's invaluable. Yeah, because th- you're, you're saying, okay, I'm going to give you, instead of re- trying to refute that the first thing that you said isn't true. Okay, I'll, I'll join you in that. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that and say right. Right, that that's true. But can we agree that that's not the only oh, truth? Yeah. That that's not the only truth. I, uh, before we came on, I was mentioning the the Second Corinthians four eight and nine. You know, Paul says we are hard pressed on every side by trouble, but not crushed. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. Yeah. We don't know why things happen as they do, but we do not give up and quit. Was, there's these four couplets of this is true, or this could happen, or this is happening. But this is also true. Right. So there's there's two truths, and they have to live in creative tension with with one another. But yeah, it's it's you know not 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 discounting the reality or you know just totally invalidating their feeling. But right, they, there's there's an additional right. truth besides that. One. Yeah. There's a however. There is a big but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really resonate with the point that Raymond made about presence. Uh, you know, I think one of the ways, th- there are subtle and unsubtle ways that we express shame to people. And one of the ways that we can shame people is simply through avoidance. Avoidance of eye contact, avoidance of physical t- contact, avoidance uh, of engagement in conversation. And uh, simply by those omissions, we're communicating loudly and clearly, you are not a person worthy of my company. Um, you know, I was raised, and here's the tragic thing, that uh, sometimes for the, uh, the best of motivations, the church adopts the worst of um, strategies when it comes to dealing with sin. And we actually can become very pharisaical around sin, our own sin, the sin of others, and try to shame each other out of uh, out of our sin. So I grew up in a in a in a highly moralistic, uh, but shame based Christian culture and Christian family. And I can't couldn't count the number of times when I I heard the message. I am so ashamed of you. Hmm. Um, one of the most shameful. You know, my story is one of sexual brokenness. Uh, my uh, sexual sin, all my acting out, was with members of the opposite gender. So I have lots of shame around mine, but I've got lots of brothers whose shame runs deeper because they had uh, theirs has been a same-sex story, and they find it so tough, many of them, to admit it, to talk about it. Um, and what I have found is that... Um, and that these guys typically will instinctively, because they feel like lepers, because they feel like outcasts, they'll avoid uh, physical contact. And what I have found is most healing to my brothers who are in that struggle is actual uh, non-sexual physical contact. Right. There's something healing about a hug with a brother who's, who's battling same-sex attraction. Uh, it's a, it is a real statement. And yeah. I know from my, from my own story, when Allie, you know, when we got, 
I am so grateful to be married to a woman who didn't, who has not battered me with shame in the years since my infidelity. Uh, she has been able to bring me to the point of tears, really, with just a hand on the shoulder, that physical touch that says, I'm with you, it's okay. That's a real gift that we can give to each other. And and making eye contact and holding eye contact, staying with somebody, staying close. Obviously, if somebody's been physically violated and their boundaries are tender, we have to be sensitive to that. For some people, it might actually be traumatic for us to get too close. But for those who are hungering for connection and physical connection, that non-sexual intimacy, that physical presence can be very, very healing. I, I wish too, Nate, that, uh, you know, as, as a pastor, when somebody's in the deep weeds yeah. and there's a, there's a difference between the slow journey and those who are really in shame crisis that I know the second that comes up, that is now dictating my schedule for the next at least week and maybe more. Mm-hmm. And yet I think a lot of folks that are are lay people in the church don't realize that, that that's not like some professional skill or whatever. If they see, man, my brother's in deep weeds, to actually start planning, okay, what are you doing tomorrow at lunch? Yeah. What are you doing the next day after work? How do we get other brothers into this schedule? We're going to be with you physically through this time of crisis instead of just receiving a confession giving some affirmation i still love you and then going home that person goes home and frankly the stories in their head are uh, are going to outweigh that hour in the meeting yeah and so just as a something in people's minds and listeners minds that when they feel like okay this person is in need I this is a scheduling issue now (laughs) because the 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 idea of being physically present is only an idea until it hits the calendar and that's another I don't know it's one thing for me to say yeah I'm praying for you it's one thing for me to say yeah give me a call whenever it's another thing for me to invest time it's a different level of investment and I can only replace so much um, lie with truth with words like there's only so much investment I can make unless it involves my actual time and my actual presence and it has to cost me something I mean which is I think what you're getting at Aaron so Raymond any other tools that people need to know as they walk into uh, shepherding people out of shame well I like what you're saying about you know it's it's wise and encouraging words and it's truth-based and that it's connected to presence, not just the the pledge of being present, yeah. but um, actually being present, and that that part of touch. Because one of the things, you know, particularly like you said, in 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 uh, where there's a same sex attraction, and the person wonders, do the other people think I'm safe? Yeah, yeah. To be in relationship, to be in relationship with with them yeah um and so in that that touch says i believe that you're safe that's a huge huge message to to them not just that you're worthy of, of love and respect and belonging but i consider you 
safe. Um, it's because in that moment we're not saying, I think that you're worthy of love and respect and belonging from a little bit of a distance. Right. You're welcome to the group. Um, but, uh, they sit over there. Yeah. But then too, like you're saying, uh, that it's, that it's on the calendar. I sometimes, you know, say to my clients who I, I can tell are in just some fragile places. Um, and I can tell they, they even wonder, do I want to be with them? And I say to them, I've said this several times, you're, you're stuck with me. <laughs> and, and, and I've said that to some people that who, you know, the finances were an issue or, uh, so it wasn't, Hey, I need you to keep coming back cause I need your check. Mm. Um, saying to them, um, I'm going to see you next week because you're, you're stuck with me. Yeah. Uh, Raymond, there's a, also a self-care aspect to walking through shame. So, and if you don't want to answer this question, we can just edit it out. But, um, so you went through <laughs> your, your major situation, you came back, but I'm sure there were moments when you were coming back that shame washed over you, that you felt shame afresh or anew, or you played old tapes of shame. Wh- what can a man do? In those moments, maybe when he's not necessarily connected, he can't pick up the phone and call and call a guy or, or a Silas or anything along those lines. Is there something? Is there some something we can do ourselves to keep us from getting on what I call the shame merry-go-round? I feel like I hop on and go in a bunch of circles and I can't get off. Some. Yeah. Well, and there, we're going to be susceptible to to triggers, and I think when you and I in the in the email, I use right. the term shame resilience mm-hmm. because we're not going to prevent it. We're not going to to eliminate it. Others will try to shame us, or we may just do the job pretty well ourselves. And so it's a it's a shame uh, resilience, and that uh, particularly after it's been a while uh, since that since that thing happened, we're going to be somewhat susceptible to triggers. You know, when I you know there's a scene in a movie or in a, in a TV show about you know someone's on a on a psych ward. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't go into the floor in a fetal position, but I can't tell you that, it, you know, inside it doesn't make me go, oh, yeah. You know, and I, there's some things that, you know, I don't like to remember. Uh, I've journaled since 1985 and I journaled through that season of depression. I journaled while I was in the hospital. Um, I, I sometimes I like to pick out my journals and review them and remember, you know, what <laughs> God was doing. I, I've, I've noticed I tend to avoid <laughs> that season of journaling because it's like you're know, reading what I was thinking and feeling like I'd, I'd rather not go there. And, and just, you know, one of the things that I sort of struggle with as a, as a writer is do for the benefit of other people do, is that some place that God may ask me to go back there, dig through, for, n- not because uh, I, r- I really want to, but is is the experience of that something that would be helpful to others? But um, and sometimes it'll just be you know some trigger um, that will remind me of that 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 weakness or or that or that failure. Sometimes it's with it's with another client, and I and I resonate with. But then I try to also use that as um, I know what that. I know what that feels like. Yeah. Um, and if you'll hang in there, it 
it's not permanent. What do you do when you're triggered? Um, I, I it's sort of that acknowledging what I did versus okay. versus versus who I am, <laughs> and, and I'm glad to say I mean, it's been long enough now that when when I think back on that time, it feels like that either happened to someone else or that was that was so you know long ago, and it it takes some time I think <laughs> to to get to that place where. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the the new normal has been sustained long enough that, yeah, that feels like that was someone else or that was long ago. Um, and if, if someone were to bring that up in, in kind of a, a, a shaming way, like, man, you're, you, you were, you were crazy or something, something like that. I can go, um, that was then, this is now, yeah. that was him. Um, you know, Roger Severino came to me in the hospital and, and said, uh, Raymond, I want you to know that this this season is not sufficient hmm. to, to define you. And I, I've taken that and have shared that, shared that with other clients. Um, that was a season. It's not, um, it wasn't true of me before that season. It wasn't true of after, but, but it was, yeah, that was, it, it happened. Mm-hmm. I can't undo it, can't rewrite it, uh, but God's redeemed it. And that's where, and I would, I would you know, share this with the guys. And I think it's part of what happens in Samson's society where in, in first Corinthians where the scripture says, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have received. What that says to me is that, if I'm willing, my, my pain can be, and even my sin, uh, can be redeemed. Uh, and not that God caused that to give me a ministry, but if I'm willing, God, well, and Nate, that's what you, I mean, you've allowed God to do that, and your, and your wife has, has yeah. allowed you to do that as well, is to take, um, you know, take the garbage, make compost out of it, distribute it, and it brings life to other, other people. You've, you've redeemed the the crap. Yeah. 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 So Raymond, if people want to get your book, get a hold of you or just read your pithy little uh Facebook messages. Oh, you how gotta, do they keep they've got a they've got a they've got a friend of them on Facebook. Right. It's a bright spot every I don't I am in awe. Raymond, if you were not a therapist, you should I seriously you should be writing for one of the late night uh comedy shows or something. Dang on, you just cracked me up. And then about the time when I'm helpless with laughter, you you, you stick me with the truth somewhere. Uh, so yeah, find find Raymond online and follow him on Facebook. Yeah, pe- people that because it, yeah, it's it's primarily a place of comic relief f- for me, and so sometimes people have a hard time <laughs> believing that oh my gosh, people actually go to him and and, and pay him. I love it you cross the lines, man. You say some very uh, politically. Uh, incorrect things. It, it, it's so refreshing. <laughs> um, so where can they get where can they get your book so they can be ashamed no more? Yeah, the the title of the book is "When Will My Life Not Suck?" and it's it's on Amazon. Um, my son and I are finishing up. It should be out in about a month. Finishing up the teen edition of the of the book. But um, yeah, according to Google, I'm the only uh, Raymond Presson on the planet, and so I'm pretty easy to find on on Facebook. Um, 
and um so yeah send 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 me a friend request but be you know be uh you know fair fair warning that uh, because sometimes i've I've had people say to me you read the facebook post and go i i wonder what it's like to walk around inside your head (laughs) (laughs) some some people have gone in and haven't ever come back out and some have come back out and they were traumatized. So, you know, you, you sign a disclaimer, you know, when become, you know, Mark, what do people need to know as far as uh, contact or what, what you're looking for? Have you closed down the, uh, survey or what's happening? Obviously you can come to piratemonkpodcast.com and uh, click on today's episode. It'll be there on the front page. You also find us on our Facebook page, pirate monk radio, uh, and when you come, we'll have links to Raymond's Facebook page, links to his book, where you can purchase it right there from the page as well. We're going to keep our survey up indefinitely, uh, so you'll find a link in every show note or just there on the site as well to uh, leave us your questions, uh, leave us your thoughts about how we can make this a better podcast for you. This podcast is for you, not for us, as much as we enjoy it, and we want to make sure that we're, we're serving you well. And there are a couple of other cool things that are coming up uh, Nate, do you want to speak about uh, the After the Miracle weekend that is in planning stages? The uh, positive sobriety, uh, walking in the light, uh, living sober, After the Miracle weekend that we're going to do in Colorado, Bear Trap Ranch, the weekend of uh, uh, August 21st. I'm sorry, August 19th through 21. Yeah. Okay, and you'll, you'll join your pals at the Paracon Podcast because everybody's going to go, right? I believe yep. so. Well... Once again, our time has come to a close. Uh, Raymond, my only regret is that I wasn't there in the treehouse physically uh, to enjoy your company and then take you out for lunch and a beer. But uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for bringing your wisdom uh, to our listeners. This has been a very thought-provoking and, I think, helpful conversation. I'm glad to, and uh, thanks for the invite, Nate. Look forward to you uh, treating me to lunch when you get back. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's it for this episode of the podcast. Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Newton. I'm Mark. I'm Marin. And we're your pals on the Pirate Book. Uncovering Junior P. Preaching recovery. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>